Hi, everybody. I have some exciting news. I am launching a Substack. I know. I keep telling you how I'm not a writer, and I'm still not a writer, but I am going to be writing about reading over on Substack. The Substack is called Unstacked, and you can find it at tracythomas.substack.com. There will be free options every Friday. There'll be a bunch of weekly roundups, announcements, all the shit I'm into. And then if you want to upgrade yourself to the paid subscription, I'm going to have author interviews, bonus episodes, anticipated reads, book pairings, community chats, all sorts of stuff. So, If that sounds like something you'd be into, go to tracythomas.substack.com and join Unstacked. And of course, I've got a special offer for you. If you go to tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10, you get 10% off your first year membership of Unstacked. You have from now until April 4th to redeem. Again, that's tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10 for 10% off Unstacked. Okay, that's enough. Let's listen to this episode. Welcome to another episode of The Stacks. Today, we're talking about Open City by Teju Cole as part of The Stacks Book Club. Our guest is actor Bezad Dabu, and I'm your host, Tracy Thomas. We're doing something really fun over on The Stacks Instagram page. It's our first annual Battle of the Books. That's right. It's March Madness, except for it's in December and it's about books. We're taking all 19 of the Stacks book club picks from 2019 and letting them face off in an elimination challenge where winner takes the title of favorite book of the year, 2018. We're also giving all of you a chance to win one of the 19 books and a Stacks tote bag. And of course, most importantly, bragging rights. The books are seeded based on podcast downloads, Goodreads scores, my personal feelings about the books, and a lot more. You can read all about that and the details of the challenge on the website, which is www.thestackspodcast.com. If you want to join the fun, you have until 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time tomorrow, Thursday, 1220, so Thursday, December 20th, to go to the challenge website. You're going to go to challenge dot com, which sounds hilarious. It's spelled C-H-A-L-L-O-N-G-E dot com slash the stacks 2018. There's also a link in the show notes and you'll complete your prediction brackets. Make sure you're following us on Instagram at the stacks pod. And on Thursday at around 930 a.m., we're going to start releasing the matchups in our Instagram stories. You go to the story and you vote for your favorite. If you haven't read the book, you can just vote for which one you think you might like more. No one cares. Both the winning book and the winning bracket will be announced on Monday, December 31st. May the odds be ever in your favor. Thank you to our amazing members of the Stacks Pack, our most loyal listeners who contribute to the show and earn awesome perks, like our virtual book club. In our last book club, we actually had the author of the book join us and give insight to her process. So don't miss out on all the good stuff happening over at patreon.com slash the stacks. I want to give a shout out to our newest member, Vanessa Detmore. Thank you for joining the stacks pack. You can go and join the stacks pack by going to patreon.com slash the stacks. And if a monthly subscription isn't your thing, you can also do one-time contributions by going to paypal.me slash the stacks pod. Make sure you're following the stacks on social media so you never miss a thing, like the upcoming Battle of the Books. There are links in our show notes to all of our accounts. 
Also in the show notes are links to everything we're talking about on today's episode. Using those links to shop on Amazon also helps the stacks and it comes at no cost to you. Please make sure you're subscribed to the show wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're listening through Apple Podcasts, please take a moment to rate and review. One of our most recent reviews comes from Max123890. And they say, I enjoyed the interview I just listened to. The host asked me good questions and has a very pleasant voice. I downloaded some of the book recommendations I found out about on the podcast. I found out about the podcast from hearing the host on the What Should I Read Next podcast. Thank you so much, Max. You can hear me on Ann Bogle's podcast, What Should I Read Next? There's a link in the show notes, but also take a moment and please rate and review the show. It goes a long way to helping us reach new audiences and it gives us street cred so I can ask for some really cool, exciting guests to join us later. So take a moment and leave a review. Okay, now it's time for my conversation with actor Bezad Dabu. We're talking about Teju Cole's novel, Open City. There will be spoilers this week. However, the book is more about the beauty of the writing and the ideas that come up and less about the plot. In fact, there's basically no plot in this book at all. So you could listen or not, but I wanted to give you fair warning. Okay, let's dive in. All right, y'all, we are back this week with Bezad Dabu. Bezad, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for having me back. I'm so happy you're here. This week, it's the Stacks Book Club, and we're talking about Open City by Teju Cole. And this book... Oh, let me just say this right now. We are going to spoil this book this week. So if you haven't read it yet, I recommend that you read the book and then come back and listen to our conversation. But here's what I'll say about this book. It's the story of a medical resident. Um, His name is Julius, and he's uh, Nigerian and German-ish. And he is kind of wandering around New York City, and it's about his encounters in the city. And also, he takes a trip to Belgium and... It's basically just like musings on life, I would say. Yeah, it's like he goes to work during the day and like sort of talks about some of his patients. He's studying to be like a psychiatrist. Psychiatrist. Yeah. Um, He like sort of talks about some of his patients, but you don't even really get deep into that. And then he like walks and you like he meets like people and then he like (laughs) sees a thing. And then it's sort of like a really amazing. I described it like a, a really amazing writer texted you. A lot. And then like you like it's like a stream of consciousness text like like a really long text, but from a really good writer. I felt like I was reading like my friend tell me what he's been doing. Yeah. Well, I I kind of was saying that it felt like this was a bunch of essays that he didn't want to put into a book of essays. Mm -hmm. So he like created a character who was kind of like his avatar and roamed the world. Not that I know Teju Cole's actual beliefs or anything but it just felt like tiju cole is julius and oh for sure you know but like who knows they could be totally different but i felt the same way yeah i was like oh i kept forgetting the character's name because i was like tiju oh my my protagonist tiju yeah i liked a lot of the conversation around borders and globalization and immigration and blackness and muslimness and all these things that are so tender mm-hmm. right now mm-hmm. and this book came out in 2011 but it, t- mm-hmm. it takes place in 2006 so it's interesting to kind of like feel like a lot hasn't changed except for that you talked about blockbuster like, yeah like, oh for sure like so much of it's the same except for that you're in a taxi and not an uber or a lift yeah 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 it felt it felt very present very present um there's even a, it's sort of mentioned brief where he sort of like there's like a 
he mentions like an accusation of rape against him mm -hmm. from earlier in his life that like he doesn't even really get dive into and that in the presence of the me too movement right now was like i mean it was straight up kavanaugh shit yeah didn't but it like, feel so kavanaugh like I yeah. I mean, we're diving into, I literally put this as the last thing to talk oh. about. <laughs> it's fine. I don't care. But it was just like a, I was just like, oh, like, and he, he doesn't seem concerned about it. It doesn't get talked about. Yeah. Like, so, okay. I'm so interested to know what you think about this because I felt like th this moment specifically, but there's other moments in the book where he would bring up something and right as the conversation was getting good or he interesting, flopped, yeah. he would like lose attention. Yep. Like the same thing happened when they're talking about Israel and Palestine. Mm -hmm. And also uh, with, with what's his name? For Farad, Farouk, the guy who worked at the power. Yeah. Anyways, yeah. The, his friend that he met, um, he's talking about like, community communities and identity and then it's like they changed the subject and i'm like yeah. no 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 I, i'm here for this this is what i want keep going there was a point where they talked about like libya and Gaddafi yeah. and saddam and then the next page it's about robert de niro's smile yes, and like exactly. robert de niro looking like a young vito corleone yeah. and i'm like what happened to saddam yeah. and Gaddafi? making like i wanted him to draw more connections but so in this scene so julius grows up in Nigeria. He comes to America. He's in a grocery store and he, or maybe a bodega and he runs into this woman named Moji. And she is the sister of one of his good friends growing up and they reconnect and they hang out a bunch in the book. Mm -hmm. Then like in the last, which doesn't really seem romantic. No, no, no. But like there are kind of moments of like him having like wanting to kiss her, like yeah, yeah, wanting yeah. to, but she has a boyfriend maybe kind of who we don't really know. So there's like some weird chemistry, like not yeah. chemistry, but there's some weird tension. And what he says when he I first related to that a lot. her, you did. I did. Like <laughs> the, the idea of like this, there might not be a person as a single guy. Like I think a lot of times I am around someone who. It's not a person I'm interested like romantically in. But you're but, like, but when we're alone, I'm like, but I am attracted to you. Sure. So what would happen if we did kiss right, right. now? Could it just be a kiss right, right. now? Like, is right. there such a thing as platonic cuddling? Right. Like, is that a thing? Right. I think those things, I don't act on those things or say those things. But when he was talking about it, I was like, I get. You're like, I feel this. I get it. Sure. Like, I get what you're thinking about that you're probably not going to act on. Right. So, yeah. So when he sees Moji for the first time. He he doesn't recognize her. She recognizes him, and she's kind of like, "Oh my god, can't believe you don't recognize me!" Right. And then he says, not out loud, but like it's said to us that she kind of has the look of someone that had a crush on him growing up. And I, in reading that moment, was like, "That's so interesting." I totally know that look because I have an older brother, and I had crushes on all his friends, of mm -hmm. course. Duh. Mm -hmm. So then, fast forward to the end of the book, like this is like 120 pages later. She's like, you don't remember this, but you forced yourself on me. And it happened at this party and other people were there. And like this, she like basically lays out her whole thing. And then she's like, don't say shit. Like, cause you're either going to say it didn't happen or you don't remember. And basically like those aren't appropriate answers. And I, I instantly like was like, oh my God, I need to know what he said about her when he first saw her. Cause the look that he thought was she has a crush on me was her look of this person raped me, mm. which is like, that's crazy. Mm -hmm. Like all the times we get it wrong, all yeah. the assumptions that we make about people when we see them. Yeah. Like we're the worst. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that one really struck a chord with me. That whole like thing. It, it, in, a, in like like a 
yeah. of way. Like, like what's a, he going to do? Like an icky way. It felt very it icky. It felt very icky. And yeah. I was like, and then I, when she was saying like, there's nothing you can really say or do about this. Right. I was thinking like, what would, like, what is the appropriate answer to no clearly idea. he forgot or didn't, it didn't clearly it was something that he felt comfortable enough doing and felt okay enough in the moment that he forgot mm-hmm. or we're supposed to believe that it didn't happen and she made it up, which I choose not to ever believe without more evidence, you uh-huh, know, uh-huh. it's just like, it, it puts the reader in a very interesting situation. It's, it's, it's cause it, you've been riding with this guy. You've been riding. Yeah. <laughs> that's your guy. Yeah. That's your guy. Exactly. Even though I didn't really feel particularly close to him in any way. I will say that is one thing very interesting about how to get a murder is that my character comes in season three yeah. and is a horrible asshole. Yeah. And I meet people on the street and they're like, I hate your character. I hate your character. I, on Twitter, I hate your character. I hate your character. And I'm like, if you just step back for a second and think about this, yeah. you guys actually relate to me more than them. They're murderers. Right, right. There are five murderers. Right. I'm a hardworking kid in school and they're getting preferential treatment and I'm mad right. about it. Right. That's actually. And you're saying what we all say at home, which is like, are you guys fucking kidding? You're killing everybody. Exactly right. That's and true. so like. My character actually came in because of like, let me get the students' perspective. And the other students are like, why are you guys first chair all week when y'all don't even show up to class? Right. And you guys don't do anything. Right. And you're first chair all week. Why is she like them so right. much? You guys are shady as shit. And meanwhile, I'm just like a hardworking kid. <laughs> yeah. The rest of them are murderers. But you are kind of bitchy. Because they're murderers. Yeah, but like, I don't know. Your tone. Like, I don't. Like, I watch the show. <laughs> no, it's because you ride with them. I, no, because I don't. I don't fuck with Laurel at all. Okay. And I I like I mean I obviously love Annalise Keating, but like Oh yeah, but she's perfect. Yeah, like good luck not loving her. But I don't really like Connor. No, I like Connor. I don't what's Connor's boyfriend? Oliver. No, I okay, wait. I like Oliver. I don't like Connor. Connor's white, Oliver's Filipino. Yes. Yeah. I saw Oliver in a play here in LA. Soft power. Yeah, so good. My friend choreographed it. Anyways, this is such a tangent, but who cares? I and I I didn't really like the puppy that much. The dead one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Spoiler. <laughs> yeah. But my, but my thing is like, my thing is like, what do I really do? I come in and I'm like, oh, you guys are going to get yeah, first chair again. They dress you stuffy. Like they make you bitchy is what I mean. Like if you were more chill and like cool and you were just like, you guys see this as bullshit. I would be like, oh, cool. Simon. Mm-hmm. But Simon is like off putting also. He's like a That happens in season also. four though. Like in the next season, I get a little cooler when we're in like the Kaplan and Gold thing. I become less of like a. But you're a snitch. How am I a snitch? Aren't you? I. Okay. <laughs> If you have not watched How to Get Away with Murder, turn this off. you might want to turn this off. So, no, we won't spoil, but we're getting close. Yeah. Whatever. All right. As as what happens in the show, snitches get stitches, uh-huh. if, I, if I'm right. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. Anyways. But yes, that is true of what happens in this book. It's like we're riding with this guy right. this whole time. And then this girl, this woman comes in and she's like, actually – this is a garbage person. And we're like, wait, 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 wait. But also, wait. she was cool with him. She was cool with him. So I, so I assumed so I their relationship we were was cool. cool. Yeah. We thought we were cool. Everybody thought it was cool. Exactly. But like the way that it's handled in the book is like, it's almost as if for the first time in the whole book, Teju Cole all of a sudden doesn't have an opinion about this. Like he has opinions about everything throughout the book. And then we get to this rape and it's just like, okay. But also, every time, like you said, every time we get somewhere right. deep, he runs Kinda away. Runs away. Um, but also, we're getting his perspective. It's like, well, I wonder what her book right. is. Sure, like, but in this book, shouldn't he have some response to us? That's like, 
yeah, she was right. I didn't remember. Reminded me of this play that I like yeah, this British symphony that I heard. You know, that like, symphony seems my favorite in the whole thing. Really? The Mahler thing. Oh my god, no thanks. Really? I got so bored. Like there would be parts of the book that I was like really into, and mm-hmm. the parts of the book where I was like. I'm bored. I was super bored too at times, but I will say that Mahler, his description of like, he goes to like this Mahler symphony and his description of that, like made me YouTube it. Really? Like his description of that, of the music was like, I have to, I have, I, to ha- I have to YouTube this because he's describing it so well. Did he describe when you heard it? Did it sound like, yeah, it was interesting. Like, was it what you had imagined it might sound like? Uh, I don't know, but it, his description was so interesting to me mm-hmm. that it like made me stop reading and listen to it. And I don't, I don't often get like that. That's cool. The, I mean, the writing is gorgeous in this gorgeous. book. The, the writing is so good. Teju Cole has, I think, two other books, maybe three. He's also a photographer. He's like a professional and photographer. He's like a painter and stuff, too. Yeah. His Instagram is all art. Teju Cole, if you're listening, you should listen to read uh, The Art Spirit by Robert Henri. <laughs> you can get your copy off the set of Disgrace. Yeah, that's correct. Um, if you didn't listen to last week's episode, you're missing inside. So, so yeah, I just don't know what I'm supposed to make of this rape situation. Like, I did agree. you have any takeaway? Like, did you feel like you understood the point of it? I or- think that this whole book is like a Teju Cole. I don't know. I feel like it's his memoir in a way. Like, right. And maybe I'm, I don't want to put them something on him, but right. like maybe he's had a weird experience in his life with Got a it. woman from his past and he wanted to address it. And I, I don't, maybe he was afraid but to get there, like to go there. Do you feel like he addressed it? Like, I no. don't feel like, that's what I feel like. I feel like it came up, but it was never addressed. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. I agree. But I think he did that with a lot of things. Sure. I agree. That but it's just true. hard when you do that with rape. <laughs> well, and at the end of the book, it's yeah. like, well, okay, yeah. what now? Also, I mean, when I took notes, I was like, Kavanaugh, Kavanaugh, Kavanaugh. Mm-hmm. It was so kavanaugh It's like we drank, mm-hmm. we both drank beers. Like mm-hmm. we went into this room and other people were there and other people knew what happened, but nobody said anything. And I mean, I when the whole Kavanaugh, Blasey Ford thing came up, one of the things that I kept saying, which is in no way to defend Kavanaugh, and I don't want it to sound like that at all, but more, I think it's more of a condemnation really, but that this thing could have happened and her story could be a hundred percent true. And his saying that he, it, that he doesn't know that it didn't happen could be a hundred percent true to him because it could have been something that was so regular and nothing that he forgot about it. For sure. That's kind of what I felt like reading this book is like, you're so, it's so nothing. It was so nothing to assault this woman that yeah. like, it's just, you don't, not only did you not recognize her when you saw her, but like that none of that came back mm-hmm. and that you thought she had a crush on you. Like that's what came back for you. Mm-hmm. Shit. That's tough. Yeah. That's tough. So in his musings, Teju Cole slash Julius goes to Belgium, which is the yeah. homeland of his grandmother on his mother's side. So he has a white mom mm-hmm. is from my understanding. Mm-hmm. And then his father was black Nigerian. Mm-hmm. And he goes to Brussels. He goes to Brussels. Which I think is where the title comes from. Oh, is that the open city? I think, if I remember history correctly, that after World War II, Brussels became the first, like, open city. Because, like, oh. uh, Germany had to, like... I don't I don't know this history well, so if you're a history buff, correct me. But it 
was that like Germany had to do like reparations, okay, basically after World War Two, right? Like part of the alliance was right, like right, you right. guys can do all kind of messed up stuff, and they had to like they shut down their country, and Brussels was the first like open city, and so they called Brussels like open city. But what does open mean? Like you could go in and go out. Oh, I see. And okay. so Brussels one of the first open cities. I don't. I think. I think. Okay. I, I I do know that they refer to open city being Brussels. Okay. I thought open city had to do with New York because New York is such a character. But in I this think book. that's like the double. I think that's a double. But yeah. I think like literally open city is Brussels. Oh. And I think that figuratively open city is New York. Got it. There's also or like the modern day open city. Yeah. There's also one thing he described. This like made me like feel like the universe is real. Okay. But um there's a thing he describes where there's like a balcony he's on that it's mm-hmm. raining mm-hmm. and it's like a balcony to a door that leads to nowhere. It's like a theater. He's on the side theater. of the building. Yeah. I know that. I know that balcony. I know that staircase that oh, goes to that, that door theater? at that. Like I've never been there or uh-huh. in that balcony, but I've walked by and saw there's a staircase that is on the side of a building and then it goes to a door on the side of the building, like 10 stories up. Wait, I know it. I know this too. And it's so weird. Cause I always was like, what is that? Like, it's like, it's like on 44th street or something, right? Yeah. It almost looks like a fire escape, but it doesn't go to the ground. So right. it's like, what's the point of it? it, it I don't know what the point of it is, huh. but he described it. And I was like, I know this. <laughs> so I, it, there was a weird sense of like, I maybe have, but I maybe have been on the same sidewalk as Teju Cole writing this maybe mm-hmm. when he saw that maybe. Mm-hmm. And then the thing about comparing Saddam to De Niro when he, sorry, sorry, he did not compare Saddam to De Niro, but he talked about Saddam and then like 10 seconds later, he's talking about De Niro and it felt so rapid, but what it did in my brain and I don't think this is on purpose, mm-hmm. but what it did in my brain is like I started thinking about the connections of people that I don't think he was trying to connect, but he talked about them so quickly after. Right. So all of a sudden I'm thinking about Saddam and how he's like De Niro. And I started thinking about how, well, he kept talking about Vito Corleone's smile. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, Saddam actually was a really charismatic dude. And like a lot of people like thought he, he was like charming in a certain right. way. He had like a funny sort of like laugh about him. And, right. And I started thinking about, like, now I'm in my brain connecting De Niro and Saddam. Why am I doing that? Because you just did it. Because you, did you it. Because you just talked about both of them right. within the span of 30 seconds. Right. Well, and he also talks about Gaddafi. Yeah. And um, Mubarak. Mm-hmm. And it's so, that I thought was really interesting because the, in the conversation, it's like, well, the you know, America thinks Saddam Hussein is the worst, but there's all these other guys. Like, nobody's talking about Libya. Nobody's talking. And, yeah. I, and I was like... We got there. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't get there, but it happened. Yeah. Like in the writing of this book, since the writing of this book and since 2006, other people who were bad guys. Yeah. Like got their comeuppance. But I just in reading it in 2018, I was like, well, I guess we check that off the list. We yeah. skip this part. Right. <laughs> you know, and I think he wrote this in 2011. He, yeah. It came out in 2011. It takes place in 2006. So it, it, he wrote this kind of on the 10-year anniversary of 9-11. Yeah. And that's also, again, like we talked about last week, is is the sort of also when Disgrace was being written by a brown man in New York. Right. Also so, 2011. Also 2011. Uh-huh. And so like this idea of like this 10-year anniversary of 9-11 to kind of look back a decade after 9-11 and how people of color in New York uh, are treated, are responding, are right. treating, are dealing with the city is just an interesting rumination. Cause for me, a lot of things, a lot of the art in my life is about brown people post 9 11. Sure. Just being a brown dude who was in middle school in 9 11. So just like that kind of 
thing connected with me a lot. I like got that. Yeah. And specifically, I feel like there's a distinction made in this book between immigrants Mm -hmm. in America and people who are born in America Mm -hmm. in the sense that like all the people he meets and talks to, like the guy who shines his shoes, the taxi driver, uh, they're all immigrants, including his teacher. And the only Americans that we that we really see him encounter are the guys who beat him up. Mm-hmm. And I thought that that was really interesting that like yeah. this book is about black and brown people in America, but not Americans. Like it's not really yeah. about American people of color. It's about people who have come to America. And also when he's in Brussels, people who have come to Brussels, people who are who are immigrants from other parts of the world to Europe. I think it's cool that the Americans in New York or sorry, the immigrants in New York that he meets are very like pro America Mm -hmm. and the immigrants he meets in Brussels are like, fuck the West. Yeah. They're very like anti-West. And they're like, also, I love the part where he's like, can you explain like the difference between like, they like, can you explain how you guys have a left? Cause I don't think you guys have a left. And he's like, well, we have Republicans, Democrats. And they're Mm -hmm. like, yeah, but you guys all believe the same shit. And he's like, well, like abortion. And they're like, yeah, yeah, but it's the same. And I was like sitting there being like, ugh, doesn't feel the same right now. It doesn't feel the it, same But at it all. is. He's right. It is. I mean, it is. It isn't. It isn't. It's a question of like, do you believe that certain people have the right to exist and right. are equal to other people? And like, that's really the question of our time right now. It's like, who who is a human and who is a portion of a human? Right. But I understand that thinking because our left is so middle compared to other lefts. Yeah, because the right is so damn right. The right it's is so right. We're just left. all getting dragged. Yeah. That's true. And uh, I, I, if you are a listener and you are a moderate, I think you're the worst of people. <laughs> Pick us. If you're, I, you know what's so funny? A Republican dude said this to me. A Trump supporting Republican. I did a podcast mm-hmm. where I. Which one? Uh, it, it was It was called Mondo. Okay. And uh, we had to, it was like a bunch of people talking politics. It was, I was scared. It was terrible. But this dude, the one thing I agreed with him on, this okay. was a Trump supporting, okay. like, you know, super right dude. And the one thing I agreed with him on was he said, if you're moderate, it's because you don't know enough to pick a side. Mm. And I agree with that 100%. If you're a moderate, you do educate yourself to pick a side right. because they are different enough right. that do you do you agree that we should be gassing sure. children or do you not right. agree we should be gassing right. children? You know, do you agree that like rapists should be on the Supreme Court after they've lied or do you not agree that? Sure. And so it's like just pick a side. Right. And if you're like moderate, you don't know enough. Learn more. Right. And also like if you're, you know, if if it's there's such a luxury to being a moderate that people of color, many, not all, but many women, LGBTQIA, disabled people, immigrants, they don't have that luxury. Yep. Like, I am a black lady. I don't really get to not know. Yeah. I don't get to not have a side. Yep. I mean, I also don't really get that much of a choice of which side I want to be on, but I, it seems pretty obvious to me. So, yeah. And, and it's like, well, I hate also like, well, the Democrats are bad, too. Or left is bad, too. Of course they are. Right. Obama drone bomb, bomb drone people, too. Obama also had the thing at the border. Yep. I know he did. Great. Yeah. Dope. One is still better. Right. Than the other. Well, right. But also Obama did things that I agree with. Exactly. Like, it's like, sure. Everyone does bad stuff. Like, right. I mean, I was just having this conversation with a friend of mine. We were talking about like Louis C.K. And we were talking mm. about 
you know, the Kevin Hart Oscars mm-hmm, thing. Mm-hmm. And I was saying like, and not just comedians, but all people are really bad. Like black people can be, you know, prejudiced against other people. Asian people can be prejudiced. Like queer people can be racist. Like there's all sorts of shit. Yep. And like everyone's bad. And that doesn't mean that we can't try to be doing better. Of course. Like that's not, the question isn't whether or not Kevin Hart said something inappropriate, which he did. The question is, are we okay with that? And I mean, I think his situation is a little bit different because he had apologized for it multiple times in the past. And I do think at a certain point, like you've got to let people move on and get better because if the point is that you can't be homophobic, great. But if you were homophobic 10 years ago and you've done, you know, you've tried to make it better and then you're still punished for it. I think that's a little tricky, but like the person I was talking to was like, well, what about Louis CK? And I was like, well, has he even really apologized yet? Like, no, he's doing comedy right now. That's what I mean. Like, so the thing about Kevin Hart that bothered me was that when Kevin Hart did, like, if, if Eddie Murphy was hosting, he has Raw and Delirious, but I wouldn't come at him on Raw and Delirious. I would come at Kevin Hart a little bit because when he did it in 2011, we already had Ellen DeGeneres. We had Will and Grace. Right. We had the, you know, the F-A-G word was already like, you're not, not supposed, to, not say supposed to say it. Yeah, don't do uh, that. Versus when Eddie Murphy was doing it, it was like, well, everybody right. said it, you know? Well, no, I agree. But I guess my point is like, how do we encourage people to do better if we still punish them when they've done the things that they're supposed to do. With, like with Kevin show. Hart though, they didn't remove him. He stepped down. He stepped down because he didn't want to apologize. They, they but were, he had apologized. That's what I don't understand. Why didn't he just apologize again? Yeah. He said, I will not apologize for this because I already have. And it's like, just say sorry, dude. Just and I was so glad just released a statement. I think yesterday night or this morning that was like, we didn't want him to step down. We right. wanted this to be a teachable moment. We want him just to just apologize in a, in a, in a dope way. His apology was, not great. Not great. And then he stepped down. Yeah. It's so funny, though. Does Kevin Hart need the Oscars? No. No. He's going to sell out an arena tomorrow. Yeah. But I mean, it would have been cool to have like a young yeah. black dude do the Oscars and not be like not have it to have to be like Whoopi Goldberg. I really want it to be The Rock or like oh. or like Key and Peele. Huh. I think Key and Peele I would thought be fantastic. I was going to be Key and Peele. I thought that would be really fun. I think Did the only problem with Key and Peele now is that Jordan Peele is like a legitimate Right, like he's winner. like nominated. Not this yeah. year, but yeah. whatever. They let Steve Martin and shit do it. That's Wasn't true. he nominated for yeah. things? Like Tiffany Haddish would be great. Oh my God, I love her. Tiffany Haddish would be hilarious. Well, I'm sure she would have done a bit if Kevin Hart was the host because they're like real life pals. Yeah, for sure. But we don't get to see that. And The Rock and him are real life pals. I know. Too. You could have had all your dreams come true. Uh, it's a mess. But the whole point of this is that Republicans and Democrats are both assholes. Yeah. But like. One's more of an asshole. If you're trying to do the right thing and you fuck up like bad, but thank you for trying. Yeah, I hear you. Like I fuck up all the time. These and, both sides are the bad thing is like, no, both sides are not equal. One side is definitely worse than the right, other. Right. Right. I hate the equating of both sides. It makes me me like even hearing the phrase both sides because of Trump has it is made like when I say both sides about something like, oh, yeah, like my friend likes red and my other friend likes blue. And I had to hear both sides. I'm like, oh, I'm now I'm now saying something like I'm saying a Republican thing. Like I'm saying a white supremacist thing. It's like ruined language for me. Yeah. Taking care of your health isn't always easy, but it should be at least simple. That's why for the last three plus years, I have been drinking AG1 every day, no exceptions. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day, and it makes me feel nourished and strong enough to tackle whatever else might come my way. 
That's because each serving of AG1 delivers my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and a lot more. It's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. The nutritional insurance that AG1 provides has been vital to keeping me productive and focused. It helps me cover my bases in just about the time it takes to fill a glass of water, scoop in one scoop of AG1, and then drink it. So I don't know, 75 seconds? With the perfect mix of vitamins, probiotics, and nutrients from Whole Foods, I'm not stuck trying to assemble it all by myself, which would have considerably worse results. AG1 saves me all the time and hassle, and it has made such a difference in my overall mood and especially my gut health, among many other things. But don't take my word for it. Go ahead and try AG1. Let me know what you think. Whether you notice you're needing more nutrient support than you're used to, or you just need an edge for a tough workout, AG1 can be the ticket. If there's one product I had to recommend to elevate your health, it's AG1, and that's why I've partnered with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash the stacks. That's drinkag1.com slash the stacks. Check it out. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. I actually do feel like there's a part of this book that plays into this like white terrorism idea. I mean, it doesn't play into it. He talks about it flat out. But in Brussels, they talk about an attack that happens where four kids beat up another kid and kill him. Mm -hmm. And the kid that gets beat up is white. And there is an assumption that's made that the four kids are Muslim terrorists because mm-hmm. if you're Muslim you can only be a terrorist you can't just be a normal Muslim person like which is so crazy like that's so fucking crazy that like you could be a Muslim person that beats up a white person and just be a Muslim person who beat up a white person yeah right like yeah. but like it's always like that that's terrorism which is so wild but versus like a lone wolf or a guy who's sick in the head well just something. like yeah. I don't know like if like if a group of black kids beat up a white kid, they're not black terrorists. They're, they're just, yeah. Like why can't we have Muslim thugs also? Yeah. I don't know. I just want more diversity in the horrible things we say about each other. Absolutely. Like I feel like it'd be more fun. But my point is that. That's just great. <laughs> is that the play? That's the play. <laughs> um, but Brown the, dude does a bad thing, but he doesn't do it on behalf of Muslims. Muslims he does it on, he just does it. Because he's an asshole. Yeah. Um, but so they talk about this whole thing and it's like everybody thinks it's these Muslims and, and the Muslim guys that he's become friends with in Brussels, they're like t- telling him about it. And then it turns out that it was a group of white people who did it. And mm-hmm. then the story kind of like disappears. And it reminded me of 
Charlottesville. Mm -hmm. And the guy who drove his car into the crowd and killed Heather Heyer. Who just got sentenced. Who just got sentenced yesterday. But I was watching something on the news and something popped up. And my husband turned to me and he was like, what happened to that guy? And I was like, I literally don't know. Like, I literally don't know what happened to that white supremacist terrorist who drove a car into a crowd of people. He's disappeared. But could you imagine if it was a... The other way around. And there were is, there were bad people on both sides. Well, says right. our president. That's right. But can you imagine mm. not knowing what's happening with the trial of a, a black person who drove a car into a crowd of white people? That's which, not no, yeah, which would never happen. But or OJ Simpson. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Like any any opportunity to condemn people of color, and and they talk about that in this book, and it really triggered like that memory for me of my husband being like, "What did happen to that guy?" And I'm like, yeah. "I don't know." And I had to Google his name because I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know it. It was like James, I don't know. I I still don't know it. Yeah. It's James Flake or something horrible. James Fields. Yeah. Do you have any thought on why the chapters are chapters? Like I couldn't figure out, like, like he, not figure it out. He randomly every once in a while, just will be like, it'll be like chapter 10. And you're like, (laughs) but why? Like what ended in chapter nine? What's different about chapter 11? It felt like totally arbitrary. It felt like he like every 10 pages was like, and like his editor was like, just put some chapters in. We need to break it up. Because nothing would change. Didn't even skip time. And it didn't. Nothing had nothing was ending or starting. So then my point was like, why even do it? I I would actually really like to know the answer to that question because I felt the same way. It just there just were chapters. Yeah, they could, but totally arbitrary. Yeah. Also, there weren't quotes for language. Like there weren't page There's no punctuation. There's no punctuation. Wait. There's like periods. Oh, I was going to say, I was like, there are definitely periods. But there's not like. There's paragraph breaks. Yeah, but it's like. Yeah. The form. But for even the paragraph breaks, like for what? For what? Because in one paragraph, you'll talk about five things. It's not like you're. It's not like the paragraph shift is like a shift. It's almost just like to make it easier to read. Yeah, to know like where to stop if you need to take a break. Exactly. And, like, it didn't. It didn't <laughs> feel like we're, we're going to shift paragraphs now because I'm going to talk about something different, or I'm going to make a. I'm going to support the thing I just said that was a thesis. It just right. felt like, and then now we're going to do. Yeah, like I don't know. I mean, I could go on a hundred. Re- there was a part one and a part two. Like of the book. Yeah. Where oh it, yes. It's yes, like yes. I have searched for myself. Yeah, it was like I have gone away and now yeah. I'm back. Yeah. And now I'm back and blacker than ever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Bigger and blacker. Teju Cole. You are someone who people think are Muslim, is Muslim. Often. Nine times. Like, if you are going to assume my thing, you'll assume Muslim, yeah. Do you feel, like, a kinship to Muslim people because of that? I feel a kinship to Muslim people because I have played Muslim a lot. Okay. I've educated myself on it a lot. Um, and in a certain way, it's like, because I've gotten the same abuse right that they've gotten that's what i mean kind of sometimes i actually feel like a fraud oh really i feel i do feel a kinship because i'm like i've gone through your thing like i get the same shit you get at the airport um but i am not real you know what i mean so i feel like a little bit of a fraud in that way but it's like but that's why i don't walk around saying i you know what i mean i don't know It, it is it is weird i i find myself doing things that it's not more than brown, specifically Muslim. Right. Um, yeah. Like it must shift the way that you you behave in certain ways, even though it's not something that. Or like a microaggression. We're at a place and I'm with a group of people and like someone will directly ask me and me alone, do you eat pork? 
And I'm like, you didn't ask anybody else? All these LA vegans, you right. didn't ask them if they eat pork? Right. Hella LA vegans yeah, here. What do you yeah. mean? Hella people who don't eat pork. Right. You just looked at me and said, do you eat pork? And right. I was like, yeah. Yeah. I do. And you got one? You got do they keep dog? asking? I mean, just so, oh, 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 okay. Oh, oh. I guess you're not practicing. Yeah. <laughs> or, I mean, that's a microaggression. Sometimes it's just, I, I, I don't or like how do you feel you know in a post 9-11 world like well, what are you asking are you asking me as a brown dude as like a you think muslim dude like what do you right what do you actually i was i'm a u.s citizen born in boston right like what are you what are you saying right the where are you from thing that white people just don't get asked yeah because like ask a white dude where are you from he says boston you end it right oh you're from boston ask me where i'm from i say boston and you say but no but like Wait, where, where are you, are you from but like where are you from like, oh, yeah. Okay, well, I guess I grew up in upstate New York. No, no, no. But like, oh, where are my parents from? <laughs> right. India. Oh, so you're Indian? Well, not really. I mean, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's, I hate that. Right. But I mean, I guess the flip side of that is like, you get to have culture that just like white people don't have. <laughs> like, sometimes I get annoyed with it too, because I'm mixed and people look at me like, what are you? And I'm like, I don't, let's not do this. But then I'm also like, yeah, but I'm black and Jewish. And like, I get to do dope shit. Like, I'm going to have a Hanukkah party and like, you know, we're eat latkes. They're going to be real because I'm really Jewish. Like, I make real Jewish latkes, okay, you know? Cool. Like, so I'm like, I get cool shit that y'all don't get. Like, mm-hmm. you're just John from Boston. Like, good luck. <laughs> like, you're Irish. You just told everybody that white people don't have culture. Well, they don't. <laughs> there is no such thing as white culture. Do you no, think I'm that there you. is? No, I'm with you. Well, I mean. There's such thing as Irish culture. No, or, I'm with you, yes. But like. There's no such thing as white culture. Because they don't have to have their own culture because right. they are white. And I mean, the book even says like, you know, the victors or whatever, the winners get to. Tell the stories. Yeah, get to or get to make the portrayal. Mm-hmm. So they've just made their portrayal baseline. Yeah. So like their culture is just like existing right there's and italian culture there's german culture yes, there's white culture that, there's there, there's a irish culture but there's not right, white but there's culture. not white culture yeah. like they're like what is a white food but it's also because they know their ancestry right whereas like black people don't exactly well that's why there's black culture yeah, because black culture we were of, robbed our entire yeah. existence which is why there's nigerian culture that and is different Ghanaian than culture, yeah, yeah than like jamaican culture yeah, and black you. american culture is different than black like African culture. Yeah exactly or, or yeah. you know so I mean I'm I'm not saying that white people don't have their own cultures but it's not white but culture. I'm, there's no such thing as white culture and at I'm least not you. in america i'm with you yeah that's sure. what I, that's what i'm saying for so sure if i offended you john in boston i meant to oops well this book talks a lot about that immigration and assimilation mm-hmm. and i i know that your father both your parents were immigrants correct they I'm came first in generation the born here yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and i was wondering like if any of the stuff that julius teju talks about like felt yeah. Particularly like of course. prescient to you or Yeah, there's one thing he sort of mentions about you get sort of mad at yourself when you catch yourself doing something that's literally to make a white person feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. It's like, why do I have to do this? Right. But he sort of weighs, well, I either do it or I don't do it, and then I have to deal with that circumstance. I do that like whenever I'm about to fly, I shave. Mm. And I didn't shave today. I don't want to shave a lot. Right. Why do I, if I have a 6 a.m. flight, I got to wake up 30 minutes early to shave, to shave, to make you feel comfortable. Right. But really you're like, you're doing it because you don't want to deal with like having to get the extra search and having the lady. Which I'm going to get anyway. But like, I'd rather just like, (laughs) it's, it's something of like, I don't want you to be like looking at me. I'd rather just like, I get less of it when I shave. Yeah. So like, I got to shave to make you feel comfortable. Sure. Or, you know, sometimes I talk. 
like I talk so you can hear this accent. And like I got to like loudly be like, hey, how you doing? Good. Good to see you. Oh, I see. Why do I have to do that? Because you don't want me to sound like this, right? Right. Well, why? Right. Why do I have to do that? I see. And it's like that just, it bothers me. Do your parents have accents? Yeah. Do they try to diminish them? My mom does yeah. subconsciously. Does she work in a field where they she... They both do. But my dad... My mom like does. I don't even think she like means to, but she code switches really well. Mm. And I can hear her be like, hello, <laughs> absolutely. And I'm like, what are you doing, mom? <sighs> they're both extremely successful people and they're great and they're supportive and they're awesome. But yeah, I, I can see the ways that they, I mean, like my dad was called Apu a bunch because of like the Simpsons and stuff in the sure. 90s. And did like, you see that movie? I did. Hari what, Kondabalu's. What's, it called? what's the problem? Or the uh, problem, the with, problem the with the Pooh. Yeah. It's really good. Yeah. I Talk think, about Whoopi Goldberg. She's fantastic yeah. in that documentary. Yeah. I mean, I the problem with Apu is huge for me. So yeah, my dad was called Apu a lot. Also, the things we do, I, he talks about 9-11 and like reactions to it. And he's a black man, but as a brown dude, like. He being Teju. Teju, okay. yeah. But like, as, um, as a brown dude, I remember I was in middle school and I didn't realize this until 15 years later when I was working on Disgrace, what I did. But what I did on September 11th, four days after school started, and it happens and you're in middle school. And I was like popular. I had friends and all that kind of stuff. My immediate reaction was I joked about it self-disparagingly. I kept calling mm. I kept calling them my uncles. Mm. I kept saying, like, let me get let me get bin Laden. I'ma text him. I'ma tell him to avoid oh. our school. I was in New York. I was in upstate New York. Sure. I was like, hey, let me tell him to avoid our school. I, yo, I can't believe my man did this. Yo, let me call him real quick. Wow. My guys. <laughs> My guys, I align myself with these dudes to obviously make it a joke, so that people, so that people would feel safe, so, or people wouldn't think that you were, yeah, because I'm joking like, about it, or to like field those questions, right? And that way, no one had to look at me funny because I was like, I'm gonna control this narrative. Kids are I'm so fucking joking. smart, yeah. So I did that, and I forgot about it, and then I never thought about it again. Mm -hmm. And then I'm working on a play about identity and roots and self-loathing and. And uh, what it means to be successful and a Franz Fanon book uh, where Franz Fanon says the only path to a man of color in America is white. Hmm. The only sorry, the only path to success for a man of mm. color in America mm -hmm. is white. Mm -hmm. And like all these things. And I'm like, oh, my God, I did that. Mm -hmm. I did that without knowing what I was doing. Mm -hmm. I wasn't thinking of it at an academic level. But I immediately, within five minutes of hearing about the tower attack, I immediately aligned myself with Bin Laden as a joke. I called him my uncle, right? And I aligned it, and like, wow. and and I was cool. Everybody thought it was hilarious, and everybody was still cool, right? I don't know what would have happened if I didn't do that. But I was oh, obviously, Bayzad's uncle is not Bin Laden, right. so ha ha ha, he's hilarious. Right. Um, Fuck, that's um, crazy. And I I look back and and look back at it as like an adult and being like. What was I doing, 13-year-old? What kind of damage did that do to a 13-year-old's brain of, like, that self-loathing of, like, right? God, I I don't know what kind of damage that did, if it did sure. any. Maybe it did. Maybe it, like, was the reason why I tried to act white. Maybe right. it's why I, like, was afraid to bring culture into – or when my mom would do, like, any of the culture – like, after my school plays, like, there's, like, culture, the way your parents hug you and right. kiss you and stuff like stuff. And I always try to, like, avoid that. I do it in private, do it around the corner – like never do it where white kids could see me. 
Right. And now I think that stuff is so cool. And if my white friends had a problem with it, they can buzz off. You right. know what I mean? But you have a confidence and you have an understanding and you've grown and like fitting in is different as an adult than it is as a teenager. For sure. Or an adolescent. But I mean, like but in should the I, book, should I they say that. that. Yeah. Like in the book, they talk about how like the melting pot idea is really just violence. Like it's violence against culture, which is true. Like you felt like you had to make a choice between you had to hold on to or completely throw away right like that you had that there was no in between for you yeah. or and then not just you like i mean i i'm you know yeah as a woman as a black woman mm-hmm. as a jewish black woman like mm-hmm. all these things i think that i i i knew i've always kind of known since maybe middle school when we talked about like america as a melting pot that i wasn't super down with that idea but i didn't really understand why until i got older and i realized I feel like really good soup has ingredients, you know, like a good soup has like a noodle and like a chicken and some carrot or whatever. Like I don't fuck with a puree. And -hmm. like, that's kind of like what the melting pot is, right? Like that. It's just like all this shit goes in and you just have to kind of guess what's in there. And like that you have to dissolve it and cook it so much that it's so soft that you can grind it up. And like, and I feel like that the book, like by saying that it's a violence, like it made sense to me in a way that I'd never really thought about that metaphor and why I'd always kind of been adverse to it. Yeah. Cause that's what makes people really cool is like the weird little cultural quirks and not, I shouldn't say weird, the specific cultural mm-hmm, quirks mm-hmm. that you have, that you've put together from your family and your neighbors and you're this and you're that. And like that is cool about America. Yeah. But it's also garbage that we're being told that it needs to be assimilated. Like that's the thing that's shitty is that like there's this feeling that it needs to be smoothed over. Yeah. It's little things like um, my parents eat with their hands like most of the world. But whenever they have guests, they like bring out the silverware. And it's like we might laugh at that. Like, well, of course, you eat with forks when there's guests over. But like why? But why? Why is that the civil thing to do? I mean, I guess it would depend on the food that you're eating is how you should eat the food. I mean, like. Really, in the truth of it. I mean, Indian food, you eat with your hands. It's what you do. And so when we're eating Indian food and we bring guests over in my Indian parents' house, they would never eat with their hands. And I understand it. Like, I do get it. And I I get the civility and the formalness and I get all that. But like, why is that considered civil and formal? Right. Because that's what white people do. That's the white way. Because like the thing is like the the prime minister of India eats with his hands. Right. You know? Well, the food is made to eat with your hands. It's like when people eat fried chicken with a knife and fork and I want to die. I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> or when or when the when the US president goes to India to meet with the Indian prime minister, the Indian prime minister will wear a suit. I think about this all the Why time. Why is he wearing a suit? Why isn't our dude wearing a the kurta. customary yeah. Indian clothing. Or let Ardu wear the suit and him wear the kurta. But like, why right. do you got to wear the suit? Because the three-piece suit, and this is Franz Fanon, the path to success for a man of color is, is white. white. And right. so you have to you have to do it. And it's, it's subtle. It's subtle stuff. And this book was subtle. Right. Um, and so there's a lot of, I thought about a lot of these things. These thoughts I've had before, but the book sort of like brought them out. Yeah, the book, I mean, I generally read a lot of nonfiction because I like, I like to learn things and I like to be taught things, but I feel like this book does a good job of feeling about as close to nonfiction as you could feel, Mm -hmm. but it's still because it's fiction, he can move, he can move away from the topics. While sometimes I wanted more, like it gave me room to think and fill in Mm -hmm. when I was zoning out when he was talking about music. (laughs) Yeah. And you know, 
it's so I, I just kept being shocked that this book was written in 2011 because not that that's that long ago but so much of it feels like shit that happened this week like the Mark Lamont Hill firing from CNN over yes. Israel and like reading this book while that's going he on he says this about that this is from the book he says I wanted to tell him that in the States, we were particularly wary of strong criticism of Israel because it could become anti-Semitic. But I didn't because I knew that my own fear of anti-Semitism would come across if I said that. Like my fear of racism had through long practice become pre-rational. That's literally what happened to Mark Lamont Hill mm-hmm. at CNN. Mm-hmm. He just literally spoke out about something on a private thing. And then it's like right. being anti-Zionist is not anti-Semitic. Right. Well, and there's also this whole, I mean, I, I have a, I'm very confused about Israel because I don't understand why everyone cares so much. Like, it seems like a, a private, a private matter, you know, like it seems. Um, well, we did it. Sure. But like, there are so many things that America has been a part of that have like, that we have forgotten that we had a hand in, you know, including Iraq, Pakistan, Pakistan, India. Yeah. Like there's so many things and that this is the one that we hold on to. And I was talking about this um, with, with my friend, Sarah, who was a guest on the show. And she was like, yeah, but we associate Israel and Judaism with white people. That's exactly right. In 1947, the United States and England partitioned Pakistan and India right on the Kashmiri mountains. And it has caused a civil war between those two countries since then. It is the same exact thing. They're fighting over Kashmiri land, which is the same thing that's happening in Israel and Palestine. The only thing is they're fighting over Holy land. Right. When the thing in Kashmir is like, they're fighting over the silks and the salt and like Mm -hmm. the real cool Mm. land. So one's fighting over Holy land. One's fighting over the resources. resources. American England did both of them in the same decade. Right. But we only talk about Israeli Palestine because that's white people and they're brown people and that's it. And there's no other difference. Yeah. But it, I mean, and it's and it's so, it's so important that saying that you believe that Palestinians should have their own place or have a place or be allowed in their own land gets you fired from CNN. Unreal. Like, that to me is actual garbage. Also because Mark Lamont Hill is like so smart yeah. and a really thoughtful, intelligent person, and he brings such a great perspective. And they allow like Corey Lewandowski to be on there and, and talk about crap. And they have so crap, many garbage yeah. people like Chris Eliza on yeah. their on their right, channel right, right, right. who say garbage things and talk terrible about women, right. make jokes about Trump's hatred, and you and you have someone who is giving a speech at the UN and says something very thoughtful mm-hmm. about the role of humanity in politics it's and bogus. place, and he gets fired. And that comes from this like over obsession with Israel and they talk about that in the book they're like is Israel is the Holocaust is that six million Jews and they use that number over and over is that any worse than the millions of other people who have been victims of genocide is that worse than the genocide genocide in Armenia in Rwanda and if it is can you explain to me how in Russia you know like that's and and I think that that has always tripped me up about Israel, which is why I never really talk about it because I don't think that I understand it. But also part of me thinks that I do understand yeah, it. You understand and it. And I don't <laughs> well, I don't know how to understand it and say that I understand it without being anti-Semitic as a Jewish woman. Do you no, know what I mean? You get it. Right. But that's like, it's a crazy thing, you know. And then not to mention that nobody wants to talk about the lovely Sephardic Jews that... <laughs> live in Israel mm-hmm. and have been there because that was, you know, mm-hmm. the the motherland, the homeland, like that we have 
black and brown Jews Mm -hmm. who are not like me, Ashkenazi through marriage, but who are, you know, like that whole group of Judaism is just like, surprise. Yep. Like you don't exist. Yep. But we have this like obsession with this tiny, tiny part of the world. And I think some of it has to do with Christianity maybe too. And I, maybe I don't get that part, but it feels to me a lot about like the abortion debate where it's like all these white men in Washington seem to care a lot about women's uteruses, but like you don't have one. So bye. And that's how I feel about Israel. I'm like, you don't live here. Like, why do you care? Mm -hmm. Get out of here. Bye. But they care. They care. Well, I mean, like there's, I'm like looking at my notes and I have all these other things I wanted to get to and we're running out of time. So I don't think we will get to them, but this book is really good for conversation, like for thinking about what, where you stand, where you fall, who you are when the conversation gets complicated. And maybe that is why he doesn't actually give us any answers or any full, he kind of just like starts it he just it really is his thoughts yeah it's like his thoughts it feels like yeah maybe he doesn't know yeah he's still figuring it out he's thinking about things he's ruminating on things he's exploring things and then he like puts his thoughts down and he's obviously a fascinating individual right um i wonder if he like wrote his thoughts and then would go out on walks and then just write about his walk i think he did <laughs> i mean that's what it felt like to me that's what it feels like totally i mean he's a photographer again so he looks at things in a visual way and he does a really good job of like describing the things he mm-hmm. sees um, so many parts of New York. I was like, yeah, I know that. I know mm-hmm, exactly where you are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, okay. So we talked about the title a little bit. What? It, oh, I. this is the thing we have to talk about. I did not understand the ending with the birds and the Statue of Liberty. Do you have any... Like the very, very yeah, end? Like the end of the book where he's talking about like all these birds that die, like going to the Statue of Liberty and like the light... And like, cause it was a light and then there's hundreds of birds and then people take the birds and put them in a museum to study how many birds on which days die and all this stuff. And I was like, what are we, I was so lost, but there's a bird on our cover of the book. So <laughs> basically I'm asking you to give me the answer. Yeah. It just ends. It doesn't end. It just ends. I think he's, I think there's sort of like, so it basically talks about how all these birds are going to the Statue of Liberty and like dying, even though there was nothing weird about like weather or patterns. Right. They were like having an impact and dying. But were they hitting it? Like it says impact, so okay. I assumed hitting. But like, I don't know. I kind of thought of I thought about like the crabs in a barrel thing, or, like people trying to chase freedom, which is the Statue of Liberty, which represents right. freedom. It's liberty. So like they're trying to chase freedom and they're dying and their way to do it. Right. But am I stretching and making meanings there that he didn't really mean? Right. I don't know. I I mean, I guess like maybe it's like, yeah, people are coming to America and then they're losing themselves here. Like they have to sacrifice. Yeah. There's that quote by the Italian immigrant who said, they told me the streets were paved in gold. The streets are not paved in gold. They're not paved at all. And they want me to pave them. Yeah. I love that immigrant quote. I love that immigrant quote. They're not paved in gold. They're not paved at all. They want me to pave them. Right. Okay. Something we love to do here is, cast the movie or the tv show i feel firmly that this is a film and not a tv show absolutely if it, if it is anything that comes how old do you page. think julius is okay i i think he's older than i think he's probably like 32 33 34 okay that would be my guess okay and i don't know i, I couldn't think of that many people Donald honestly. glover you think 
I thought she would tell Edgy for because he's like so like musing, like he's like so pensive. You know, I thought uh, Don Glover because he's like kind of weird. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, Chewy Tell would be amazing. I feel like he'd be really good. And then I also thought like Kaluya, Daniel Kaluya. Yeah, but I don't know. He doesn't look mixed. He's Daniel darker. Kaluya also looks really. Um, he's his, he's very like. I feel like he is focused. That's true. And I don't think this dude's focused yeah. at all. Yeah. I feel like Donald Glover's a little more in, in the clouds. Yeah, that's true. Donald Glover is a little more free-spirited than I feel like this person is, though. I feel uh-huh. like, Don- I mean, maybe that's just because that's what I've seen him do. Yeah, yeah, And, like, that's what I know of him. Yeah. But, like, I feel like this guy has, like, a heaviness about him Shall that I feel tell, like yeah. Chuyatel definitely has. It's a good choice. But he might be too old. Yes. But Black Don't Crack, and, like, he could probably play younger. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I feel like yeah. I feel like when it comes to actors of color, yeah. everyone's way older. Like Chadwick Boseman is like forty two or forty three, uh-huh. and I feel like he's thirty. Like, nah, but he's not. Yeah. But like, you have to put in so much extra work when you're black and brown. Mm-hmm. Like, it, I mean, you know, it's not just like oh, I mean, like yeah, there's like Yara Sh- Sh- Shahidi. Shahidi, she's like a baby, but she plays a kid, so that's different. Mm-hmm. But like, there aren't that many. Black and brown, I guess especially women mm-hmm. who are young. Like breakout star Tiffany Haddish is like 40. Yeah. Or close to it. You gotta do double the work and you get half as much. Yeah, which is a famous, a famous, you know, the ancient black proverb. It's real though. It is. It, it is. is so real. Well, Bazad, do you have anything else you want to say about this book or anything? I feel like we sort of like tear, tore it apart, but I recommend it. Yeah, I feel like we tore it apart. But I agree. I, I don't think that was our intention. <laughs> there's just a lot to tear it's up hard, in this book. It's hard to talk about because there's no plot. Right. It's, yes. It's the a, content a, is great. It's written beautifully. It's written beautifully. It makes you think. Yeah. I actually don't know if we tore it apart. Okay, I, I have torn apart books on here before. So this felt like mild, like tamer for me. Okay, good. But I, recomm- I recommend this book, though I don't know if you'll love, if you'll love it all. I, yeah. That's what I would say. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, thank you so much. We will be back next week. And until then, we will see you in the stacks. That does it for us today at the stacks. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you to our guest, Bezad Dabu. Don't forget to sign up for the 2018 Battle of the Book Brackets. And follow us on our Instagram account at the Stacks Pod to make sure that you cast your vote for your favorite books from the 2018 Stacks season. The deadline to sign up to fill out your bracket is Thursday, December 20th at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. To sign up for your bracket, go to C-H-A-L-L-O-N-G-E dot com slash the stacks 2018 or click the link in our show notes. To join the Stacks Pack and to get inside access to this show like perks and the book club and more, go to patreon.com slash the stacks and join the fun. Make sure you're subscribed to the show wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're listening through Apple Podcasts, take a moment to rate and review. A special thank you to Claire Redigzuki. Our graphic designer is Robin McCright, and our theme music is from Tagirajis. This show was created and produced by me, Tracy Thomas. <laughs>